All right, so um, starting back, if you weren't here four weeks ago, I just want to recap the whole, um, how this vision came about. And it all started with a knock waking me up in the middle of the night at 2.22, freaking me out completely. But the Lord ended up revealing what he, um, the scripture of Matthew 22, 2, and the truth behind that parable is what he was trying to wake me up to. And I feel like it was for me, but it was also for us as a church. So the story goes, and I'm just going to summarize it in the shortest way possible. You have more time this service. I know, way, but so. we just have so much to say. So. <laughs> and they probably heard the story. So this yeah. is only for the handful of people, I guess. Um, so basically, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And so that would be God arranging the marriage banquet for Jesus. And so what he does is the father sends out servants to invite people to the big feast. And you have to think about it as um, the tables representing the kingdom. And so kingdom lifestyle, if we enter in, is full of celebration. We just have to think about a wedding feast. I love weddings when they're done right, when they're fun. And so if you think about a fun wedding that you've been to, um, people are cutting loose, people are celebrating, they're in there, in, they're there believing in the union that they're supporting. They're, um, it's full of love and joy. So it's, it's a great thing. And so the king is wanting people to come to this celebration and he gets denied the first time. His servants go and invite people. They deny the invite. The second time around, he tells his servants, hey, tell them how great it is. Tell them how much um, the best meat is prepared at this table. And basically, he's trying to reflect how great it is if we were to choose this lifestyle, if we were to say yes um, to Jesus in that lifestyle. And so still they deny their request. And they were busy um, doing their own thing, busy with their jobs and everything else that, like, um, these days would distract us from putting him first. And then the third time, he sends out an invite, and he finally gets guests to fill his table. And so once the guests arrive, there was um, the father walks down the table and sees that there's a man there in rags. And he's basically like, what, what are you wearing? Because everybody else is in their really nice, appropriate wedding gowns. The guy is cast out into utter darkness, which is hell which is very extreme. And the first time I read it um, a while back, I was just like, what kind of loving God is going to just care about your outfit? I don't understand, like, I thought he loved us for who we are, like not about what we look like. And so that's the real surface level that you read the first time you, that you would think naturally the first time you read it. But if you um, think about, if you dig a little deeper and do some research, actually everyone invited to the table was given the appropriate wedding gown to wear. And so this man that came in rags just refused to put on the right outfit. And so that's that comes down to a choice. And so... I think the reality of this whole series is that we have a choice and that really there's a reality of heaven and hell. And it's such a hard thing. Nobody likes to talk about hell. Nobody likes to talk about consequences, but it's the reality. And we have to talk about it because the opposite of that reality is such a great one. And so we have to realize we have to talk about one to get the other. So, um, I think this whole, I didn't mention it the last time, but there's this whole concept that I hear a lot lately that all roads lead to God. And it's wrong in that if you're going to say that, you're going to say 
that God is a pretty cruel father for having his son be crucified for no apparent reason. If there's so many different ways, then was it just fun for him to put his son for that, through that? So that's just my take on it. Um, so there is a real, real consequence for your choices. And this man is not accepting salvation. He's not entering into the kingdom, and he's not coming prepared. And so this whole series is talking about what does it look like to live this righteousness life? Like, first of all, obviously, we have to ask the Lord into our heart. We have to believe and confess it. But then secondly, we have to, we, that makes us in, walk in righteousness. That makes us righteous by position. But we have to reflect righteousness in conduct, not just position, not just what we're given, but also our conduct has to match up. Yeah, so the, the man was defiant. It wasn't just that he couldn't come as he was. It was the, it was the understanding that he made the choice to not put on the proper clothes for the wedding feast. And the Lord provides those clothes for all of us. So we have to, in a sense, every one of us has to have a change of clothes. And the change of clothes is our spirit man. It's not the outside. It's our heart. It's a heart change. And it's saying, Lord, I believe, I receive, and I want to become everything that you have for me. And I'm stepping into the bridal paradigm to become your bride so that I can come to the table in full celebration and full joy, and I'm not being obstinate. That, that's another really good word. You're just, some people are just so obstinate. You know, I have a family member that, that once said to me, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in that born-again stuff. I was like, wait a minute, that's an oxymoron. That doesn't make any sense. To be a Christian, you have to be born again, right? And so this man was defiant, he was obstinate, and he was making the choice to not put on the new clothes and the new outfit, which in Revelation, the new outfit is the righteousness of Christ. And so one of the things that Amber said that's so important for us all to understand is that we're made righteous by what Christ did. So the blood of Jesus washes us, cleanses us, and puts us in right standing with the Father. But there's a result of righteousness from Christ, and that is righteous living. Not the most popular subject in most of the popular churches. But you've got to understand, if you want everything God has for you, and she's going to talk about this, if you really want the rewards that Christ has for our life, not just waiting till then, but getting them now, then it requires righteousness. Righteousness from Christ, but then the result is saying, I don't want to be the way that I was before. I don't want, that old me has to die. That old whatever you were has to be put off so that a new person can come, and now you walk differently in a new understanding of Christ, and you fulfill moral righteousness in your life with his help. You can't do it without him, but you become a new creation, and now your life reflects that, right? Right, and it's not about measuring up. We know that. It's not about just, yeah, self-righteousness. It's about letting the Holy Spirit lead you and be guided. Um, so we're going to look at, I don't know if you guys have gotten into the Passion Bible but I'm, like, obsessed. I mean, I just love how it's... It's a new translation that just came out this yeah, year. Yeah, it's a new translation of the Bible, um, and it really just has a great perspective of things. And I think they had it, they said they have Romans 10, 9 through 11 up there for me. 
<clears throat> and it says, and what is God's living message? It is the revelation of faith for salvation, which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness of God, and then the mouth gives thanks for the salvation. For the scripture encourages, encourages us, everyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. So I just love how it summarizes and so passionate. So the point in all of that is obviously salvation. We have to confess. We have to believe and then we're made in right standing, but then our choices have to match up. And this man refused everything altogether. And um, I didn't mention it, but I think every th the main focus of our life should reflect um, eternity and to have eternity in mind. Meaning, when we get to heaven, we're going to be asked what we did with what we are given. And so we're given so many things, and we have to use them to bring glory to the Lord um, in every way possible, not just for our own gain. And so in that scripture, it's talking about salvation, we're made righteous, and then um, the reality is God gives us options. Just like in the garden, we, they had an option. They have a choice. We have a choice like every day, all day, which direction we're going to go, and I think we always know deep down if we're led by the Holy Spirit that deep knowing we know what we're supposed to do but sometimes we want immediate gratification or we want what is easier or or we just are rebellious and we want to just do you know because sin is fun for a season but there are consequences for that and we don't want to talk about it but it's the reality and so a lot of times consequences just look like a bad situation so a lot of us find ourselves in these bad situations and we want to blame the devil but Really, it came down sometimes to a decision you made against the will of God, and now you're reaping the consequences for that. And sometimes that looks like you, like having this journey from A to B, but you decided to take a circle around and around and around. And so bad choices, sin separates you from God, and so bad choices just take make your journey so much longer. That's how I summarize sin and consequences. And so I like the easier way, shorter route, not trying to have a longer journey. Who wants to have a longer journey? <laughs> I want to get right to the reward and the blessing um, here as it is in heaven. And so the reality is the Lord does bless us, and there is a reward for seeking him first. So we're, do you have any? Yeah, so the choice from the garden is still the choice today. So there's the same choice from the garden is the same choice we all face every day. Which tree are you going to eat from? So, so Jesus reversed the curse of the wrong tree. Now, if you haven't read the garden story and, the, and your Bible lately, just go read the first three, three chapters of Genesis. Because it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and eating from that tree, that kills us. And notice good is in that tree. So you can try to live a good life or have a religious life of attempting to do it in your own strength, but it's only behavior modification, and it only lasts for a season, and it ultimately kills you. How many of you like really, really stuck-up religious people? None of us, <laughs> right? And, and so 
every day you have that choice of which tree you're going to eat from, and it's so subtle you don't even realize it. But the tree of life, which is Jesus, is available to all of us every day, and so we can make that choice. And eating from the wrong tree will kill us. And we're constantly challenged to live spiritually. And Amber's going to talk more about really what it means to live spiritually on this earth now as we prepare for what's to come, because that's what it's really about. If it was just about getting you to heaven, you'd give your life to Christ and off with your head. I mean, whatever. You'd be martyred. You'd die. That's not the, the, the ultimate end goal. The end goal is God revealing himself in the greatness of who he is on earth as it is in heaven so that when we get there, we pass the test with joy, beauty, wonder, passion, and living a spiritual life. Right, and so in Matthew six thirty three, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. I don't know about you, but I like things being added to me. <laughs> and so I don't really like the takeaway thing. So if you think about um, you want to gain in this life, you want to live a life of celebration and blessing. And it doesn't always look like the bigger house or the better job with the adding on to. But it, it oftentimes turns into that. But um, it's really sometimes just re the Lord revealing his his um, presence, his glory, and making himself known even more. That's the reward. That's the best thing you can get. Because all of the things that we get in life are only going <laughs> to make us happy for a certain time. The reality is the depth of knowing him. And you go to better levels of that when you're seeking him first. That's your reward. And so also in Hebrews 11:6 it says now without faith it's impossible to please God for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. So both of those scriptures who diligent, yes, not just seeking, but diligent. So it's got to be an everyday effort, every decision, always in your thoughts, rebuking thoughts that aren't good cuz he says think on the thoughts of from above. Um, everything good comes from him. It's a decision, a moment, a thought-by-thought -thought decision to seek him in everything. That's right. Everybody wants the benefit, but they don't want the cost. So that's why Jesus said um, that the kingdom of God is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and he dug deep to get to the rock. So think about how deep you have to dig to get things like coal, gold, diamonds. The gems and the jewels and the treasures have a cost to them. The cost is digging deep to get to the rock, and that takes work. <clears throat> I don't particularly like to dig, okay, especially if it hasn't rained in a long time. We had a rose bush that I needed to plant in the backyard. I made it about two inches with my shovel. I'm like, I give up. I'm going to Home Depot to rent a post hole digger, right? And so, but in the spirit, you have to have tenacity and be diligent. That's the scripture. He rewards those that diligently seek him. And the challenge that we're running into today is we have a church that won't really pay the price and come to the cross and invest every day to get their daily bread or to dig deep. Because digging deep requires several things. It requires work and it requires consistency and not giving up. And so paying the price to dig deep gets you to the rock, which brings a stable house, which brings, which brings the rewards and the treasures of the kingdom. So think of Matthew 24. By wisdom a house is built. I'm sorry, Proverbs 24. By wisdom a house is built, and through knowledge 
its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So the more we know him and build with wisdom and understanding. See, the wise man that builds on the rock in Matthew chapter 6, the wise, or Matthew chapter 7, the wise man, that word for wise in the Greek is, or that word for wise is the word prudent. And it means the intellectually smart is submitted to the knowledge of the Lord and will do all they can to get it. And in turn, rewards and treasures come. Because your greatest reward, as Amber said, isn't your stuff. You can have a lot of stuff and be miserable, trust me. You can, you can have a millions of dollars and all you got to do is get one diagnosis of sickness and man, none of that money can save it, right? The point I'm trying to make is that true joy, true rewards, true happiness comes only from him and it comes from those that will pay the price to diligently seek after the Lord and to dig deep every day. Right, and so what does seeking look like? I talked a little bit about it, looking looking to him in decisions and everything, but it also looks like communing with him, which is basically accepting the invite to the table. If we bring it back to the whole table concept, the table is the kingdom the, the of heaven, the table is, and then the kingdom is so great, has so much to offer, but we have to accept the invite and want to be in at in his presence communing with him. So what it can look like, I love sitting by the water, so does he. Anytime I'm waking up and like, you know how you wake up in a funk and you don't really know why? You have no real reason to be negative. You have no real reason to be cranky. Sometimes I just wake up cranky of no reason. Nothing bad happened. Boy, you're telling me. I <laughs> no, seriously. I some never mornings do that. He's like, what's wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just not, I don't want to talk. And so. Like we call it the spirit of grumpy. Yeah. I have the spirit of grumpy sometimes. came into the house. And you know what the quickest thing to resolve that? And even he will tell me, and this is a good marriage thing, is go be with Jesus. Because that's the only thing. He's like, you need, me to, you need me to watch the kids? Do we need to get a sitter? Because the only thing that's going to resolve that, and yes, I know you can't always do that in the ideal, ideal world. You can't always get away and be quiet, but you can make quiet in your mind and, and everything. But if you do have a chance to get away, do it anytime you can. That's what communing is, is sitting there by the water in your car. No matter what the person next to you in the car is doing, which is usually smoking weed, just block it out. That's there happened almost every to go time. I'm just letting you know where if you're going to do this happening. whole lifestyle, you might encounter that because it happens every time to me. It, it only happens to her because she happens David, to go places again, where people he's are... He's smoking weed right next to me. I'm like, and then I just pray for them, you know, and then go on with my community. <laughs> but it really is, that's reality. I'm sorry, guys. That's really happening in my life. <clears throat> what was I talking about? Communing. Okay. It's, a, it's the point of it. there's always going to be distractions. And so everywhere you go, even if you go park and you, you were the only one alone in that, little, in that little section in front of the water, and then it never fails. Somebody's got to park next to me and do something crazy or blare their music. It's just the enemy. He cannot stand for you to have that intimate relationship with the Lord. And so he'll do anything. And then in Colossians 1.10 in the Passion Bible, we pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing you do. Then you'll, you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing I think it said him. 
So basically, I'm not going to open up the book and, and read the rest, but the basis of that is through relationship, through communing, we start to really fully know him and his nature. What's his nature? A good father. Um, he has great plans for us. All of the promises we know once we commune with him. You won't know that if you aren't reading the word and you don't see his history. Because if you look at his history and what he's done, you'll know that he's good. Then you can believe that for yourself and then you see it evident in your own life. And then you bear fruit. Um, and so it's just an ongoing growth pattern. And so bearing fruit looks like all the great things like the fruits of the spirit, right? Right. And so, and then it produces this lifestyle of celebration. And so some of you today are in a bad situation and you might be experiencing pain or heartache, but even in those times, you can be grateful in what is the Lord doing or teaching you in that season, in that hurt He's closest to those that are brokenhearted. He's closest to the suffering. It re you relate to him in that suffering because he suffered as well. And so he's the closest in those times. And you can be thankful because, you know, I know in my suffering, I knew I was the closest to him. I felt him more in my suffering than I ever did in my blessing. So That's right. And so we're grateful and we're thankful and it produces this attitude of praise. So we worship because of who he is and what he's done for us. So in the Old Testament, the word for thanksgiving is also a word for praise, and it's the word toda, and it's, it's interchangeable between thanksgiving and praise. So I'm thankful, therefore I praise because of who he is. So 1 Chronicles 16.34 says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And so because the Lord is good, and because he's merciful, and because he's kind, and because of the nature of who he is, and because I know and I understand that, because he's forgiving. He's forgiven us of so much, all our failures, all our shortcomings. I was really genuinely a pretty bad guy. The stuff I did, I'm not at all happy about, but it built a story and a testimony of how powerful God is to heal me and forgive me and make me into a new man. So I tell the story of how I was a Lying, cheating, selfish, drug dealing, drug doing, just super crazy partiers. You know, everything was about me, and it cost me, and I paid a big price. But ultimately, from, from what I went through and surrendering my life to Christ and recognizing he's good and that he's forgiving and that he loves me and that he's a great dad, he's the dad I never had. And there's so many characteristics and attributes of who he is, what do I do? I praise him. That's why I think about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer starts out with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed. Which really is an understanding of gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord. And expressing that because of who he is. And then in the Old Testament, David got this incredible revelation that with thanksgiving, you can actually enter into his presence so enter his courts with praise and thanksgiving. So if you want to experience the power of God in your life, you've got to have an attitude of gratitude and be grateful, no matter what you're going through. And here's the newsflash. We're all going through something. And you know what? People that come in here that are addicted, that are hurting, that are broken, that are struggling, that are that whatever your situation is, we've actually prayed you in to this church. We want the most hurting, 
of the hurting people that are so jacked up, so distant, so dysfunctional to come to this place. You know why? Because we have an answer. We have an answer. And so in worship, one of the things you'll notice that I consistently do in worship, I didn't do it this service, I did last service, but I, I do it pretty consistently, is I'll grab that mic and I'll say, get your hands up. Not because I want to create a bunch of clones and robots and you all be like me and put you in an uncomfortable position, but I understand the power of praise and I understand the power of surrendering and I understand the power of it not being about you. And then what I understand is what happens when this whole sanctuary gets unified in thanksgiving and praise. Not just me, five of us, 10 of us, 20 of us, or the people up front, but what if from every corner of this room, all of us got unified in thankfulness? Guess what happens? It ushers in the anointing and the presence and the power of God to heal you, set you free, to have an experience and have an encounter. And it all comes from thankfulness. That was awesome. You know what? One of my favorite qualities about the Lord is that he redeems and he restores. And I feel like I'm in a personal season right now of just restoring what was lost. And I think if you can, in the midst of your pain and suffering or your unanswered promise, um, if you could get to a place where you already know that the Lord's working out things to be beautiful on the other side, you can't help but be thankful. I'm fully aware that he's working out and making beauty from ashes and everything that's went wrong in my life. And I believe if we all have that revelation, yeah. then we can't help but be grateful. Um, and then the next, okay, so the word thankful or thankfulness is mentioned like 116 times in the Bible. So I think he's trying to get our attention and I think we're supposed to be grateful. So uh, the next... One is, I always feel like I'm saying it wrong, Eucharisteo, Eucharisteo. Everyone says it different, so I'm like, which way is right? Um, but what it means, it's, it's talking about the Last Supper, and at the Last Supper, Jesus broke bread gave, and gave thanks, and he says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so that's where we get communion, but... Um, so what he did is he broke and he gave, and that word, give thanks, is a Eucharisteo. But what's inside that word is what gets me so excited. Inside that word is the word charis, which is grace, which I know as empowerment. So he's telling us, like, even though he was facing um, pain at the cross and betrayal because someone at the table was going to betray him. So he's facing these both things and out of vulnerability and out of empowerment and grace, he broke the bread and still was able to give. He didn't have a pity party, you know, and so he still gave out and that's the word grace. And then inside that word is also Kara or uh, yeah, Kara and Kara, which is joy. So the only way you can get joy is from first being thankful. So deep Kara or joy is found only at the table of thanksgiving. So if we want to live this joyous life, which I know we don't all want to all live sad. I mean, who wants to be like Eeyore every day? Um, uh, we, we have to have thankfulness first. And so we're, we're going to, okay. I think we'll do the video, but also I wanted to say the height of our joy is dependent on the depth of our thankfulness. It's not when you're finally joyful can you be thankful. It's flipped. 
And so I love when science backs up the Bible because it's like, hello, he does know what he's saying to us and he does know what he's doing. And so when he's commanding us to be thankful, he's doing it for our own good because he knows the result. And so then science has caught on and said, hey, there's something to this whole gratefulness that actually benefits our mind, body, and all of that. So we're going to watch a video that backs up the science. So uh, in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, says that uh, the Lord commanded, gave a commandment to Joshua in going into the promised land. And he said, make sure that you don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. So notice the pattern. What happens first? First, what happens is meditating upon God's word. How often? Day and night. And the reason for that is because there's an enemy that speaks to you day and night. So Revelations 12.10 says that the accuser accuses, works to accuse us, the saints, how often? Day and night. And so God's got an answer. And God's way and word gives you the ability to not only overcome the enemy, but to be prosperous and successful. And uh, I've done a word study on that word prosperous. And if you actually look up the word prosperous in the Hebrew, the core understanding of prosperous in the Hebrew is to be mentally put together, mentally sound, and to have a right way of thinking about everything that you do. Because you can have all the money in the world and be miserable. And so meditation, being grateful, having an attitude of gratitude, laying your lives down for others, all those things produces great success in your life. Right, and when you're focusing on the negative and you're allowing those lies that he's always creeping into you every moment of the day, um, we're amplifying the darkness instead of the light. And so um, when we give the dark our attention, we're mostly, mostly giving um, the devil the main focus. We're amplifying him. And people that are known by gratitude are making God known. So the whole purpose in our life is to make God known. We, how can we better represent him but to live these joyous, grateful lives to everyone else that sees us? And so gratitude amplifies his goodness. And when you're radically generous to the oppressed and you're radically grateful for what you're blessed with, you're so full. You, became, you, you have this reality that you're so full of such good that you give from the overflow. And so you're overflowing, you feel like you're overflowing, where you could actually have the same things, the same blessings, but when you're recognizing them all the time, you're more aware, and on the overflow, you give back. And so in the study, it said that the people that did this gratitude journal for, um, I think, even two weeks, um, improved 25% in two weeks on lack of self-focus. And so I feel like People that are most self-focused are the people that are the most depressed. And when you're giving out and you're being grateful for what you have, it's really hard to live in fear or depression, oppression, because you're focusing on the light. Let's look at Romans in the Passion Bible. And I have this one written down. Romans 14, 17 through 18 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules, but it is the realm of the Holy Spirit, filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities pleases God and earns respect of others. So that just reiterates, when you're walking in peace, love, and joy, and all the fruits, 
you're making him known. People respect you, and they want to know more about this God that you serve. That's good. Psalms 105.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the people. And so everything in thankfulness, we're making him known. <clears throat> okay, well, I, I have some an awesome word. And what the Lord has given to my wife has done so much in me. And it's caused me to wake up to a greater reality of what Christ did and who he is. Okay? So... In the word thankfulness, there's the understanding of grace and joy, right? Give. Think about grace. Grace is an empowerment. So Jesus would empower us by breaking open his body and giving thanks. And in his brokenness, when he broke that bread and he said, do this in remembrance of me, what he's saying is that my broken body empowers you to be grateful and to love others now do this in remembrance of me. And doing it in remembrance of him is what? It's not our little cracker and wafer and drink at the altar, though we do that because we puts us in a good position and place to bring us together to pray. But what it's really about is Jesus broke his body open for you. Now what does he want you to do? He empowers you through grace and gratitude. He gives you the empowerment, right, to give yourself to break yourself open now for other people, okay? And what happens when we lay our lives down and give ourselves for someone else? Let me help you. Do you know that there was another supper after the last supper? There was. It's in Luke chapter 24. And in Luke chapter 24, there's two disciples, Cephas and another, walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're depressed, they're discouraged, they're upset, Jesus, you know, they didn't know Jesus has resurrected, right? They were, they were believers. They were disciples. And so Jesus comes along the road, and they don't recognize him. And Jesus starts expounding the scriptures to them, all the way from Moses, all the way to Jesus. Okay, now, while Jesus is talking to them, their hearts are on fire from the word, okay? But they still don't know it's Jesus. So check this out. This is so powerful. As, they're, as it's getting dark, Jesus was going to keep going. But the, the two disciples compelled him. And the word compel literally means I did everything I could to get you to do something. Everything I could. And they compelled Jesus to stay the night because it was getting dark. And Jesus took the invitation. And so because of their willingness to be obedient... And desirous of Christ, not even knowing it was him, but the word, their hearts were on fire. What happens? Jesus comes to another table and he breaks bread and gives thanks. And guess what happens to the disciples? Their eyes are open. And they recognize it was Jesus. It's all Luke 24. And you know what Jesus does? He vanishes. And they go, oh, it was Jesus. Did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us? So the incredible thing is they didn't know it was him until what happened? The breaking of the bread. So Jesus says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven in the wilderness. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the answer. I'm the, the question and the answer. Because that's what manna means. What is it? And so in the breaking of the bread, when Jesus broke open his life, when you commune with him, give us this day our how often? Every day. 
when you commune with the Lord and eat from the bread of life, what does it do to you? It opens your eyes to know him, to experience him. And it was always in the context of giving thanks, which means I'm empowering you to be joyous because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And what good is a miserable, boring, lemon-sucking, hunchback Christianity? Think about it. You never smile. You're never happy. All you see is rules, religion. I'm sorry for whatever maybe you were taught or thought or believed. Don't fall prey to that. The reason why we're here is because I believe God's given us a unique message. We're not here because everybody else is broken. You know what? Other churches get unique messages too. We're building a family. We're building a community that's part of a worldwide family and community. And we need all the visions and all the expressions. We need the different components of the body. But it's in the breaking of yourself. So what happened when the Holy Spirit came? Right after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, immediately in the next chapter we read the disciples went from house to house breaking bread with one another because true communion and intimacy and transformation comes in the breaking of your life and the, and the opening of yourself up. It really does and laying it down. And so the last thing I'll tell you then, can you, is that your nephew? What's his name? Max, come up here, Max. How old are you, buddy? I'm nine. You're nine, okay. Max is nine. He's going to tell you a story. But I'm going to leave you with this. He's going to say something, then we're going to pray for you. The Holy Spirit was given to us for several reasons. One of the reasons that the, we have the Holy Spirit is to remind us of everything that Jesus said. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I taught you. But notice the, word, the key word is remind, which means you once knew, which is why it's so important that you read your Bible. It's so important that you spend time in the Word so that the Holy Spirit can bring to remembrance what Jesus said, which in turn brings supernatural joy. I've taught on that before. Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so that your joy would be full and that your joy would remain. The words of Christ and the promises of God bring joy to your life. And the Holy Spirit is here to help us always remember what Jesus said and who he is. And so when we prayed last service, something happened to Max. Max, tell me the story that, tell everybody the story of what happened to you last service. Okay. So whenever you guys were preaching up here, and I was all the way back there, um, I just all felt something like from God boom up inside me. And I just started bursting out with like joy tears and I couldn't explain it. I didn't know why, but something reminded me of something I once knew. Something something like that. Powerful. And it just you started crying. But tears of joy. And so Max came up to me and he just couldn't contain it. Because he felt this explosive thing inside of his heart. And it brought such joy and tears. And he came up he was so well spoken and so authentic and genuine that it's a reminder to all of us that God is using children, speaking through children that are innocent, that don't have religious dysfunction, that can easily grab a hold of the joy and the promises of God and even weep tears of joy. And that's a beautiful new thing that God's doing in, in the earth, all over the world. So give Max a hand clap. Good job, buddy.
all stand.